The uh, text for the sermon is taken from the epistle. Uh, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. St. Paul was not presumptuous uh, concerning his own salvation. I discipline my body, he says. I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means I myself should become a castaway. It's also clear from the epistle that St. Paul expected his material body and ours to be part of salvation. And in light of its supernatural destiny, the body's supernatural destiny, he understood that uh, he was to behave responsibly toward his body in this life. Paul did not despise uh, his body. Uh, he did not wish to be rid of it. Uh, he did not hope for a disembodied uh, salvation, but rather he was attentive uh, to his body of flesh. He loved it. Uh, and uh, so he intelligently, reasonably, and responsibly imposed discipline, restraint, and self-control upon himself. So why did he do that? He says, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, I keep it in discipline, and bring it into subjection, lest the, by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Uh, Paul speaks uh, as, as a man, an apostle, concerning his own body and everyone else's body in the context of personal salvation, but he also speaks as our teacher, providing us an example, examples to his students, uh, as a father would provide an illustration to his children, or even as a coach instructing one of his potential uh, contestants. I control my body. I bring it into subjection. Well, what? We ask ourselves, what is the body brought into subjection to? When I say my body, uh, what is this my? Uh, is my body something like an automobile that has a my in the driver's seat? Is the body this component part of the human person. Certainly, there are those who believe that the body is the opposite of the soul, which it is not. Uh, but they also believe that the body is our enemy. Uh, there are many people uh, uh, then, in Paul's day, as well as in our day, that take the body to be animalistic, earthy, corruptible, wild, and dangerous, while the soul... The spirit they take to be human, heavenly, reasonable, incorruptible, and in tune with God and free. That's not true. That is not reality. Paul is our teacher. One's body is not one's enemy. But one's body is a poor master of the person. Paul knows that man, body and all, is in fact the crown of creation, the most beautiful, glorious form of all of God's creatures. 
In Genesis, we are told that God created all living creatures by fiat, spoke them into existence. He called them forth from the sea or from the ground. Let the earth bring forth cattle and creeping things and the beast of the earth. And it was so. But he did not create man by fiat. No, God said, let us make man in our own image. And then the narrative, the picture that we have is of God as a sculptor taking up dirt and clay into his hands and forming the body of man. And then he's pictured as breathing, bending down and breathing into man's nostrils, the breath of life. And man became a living soul. The creature man is God's crown of creation. Paul knows all that. Uh, but Paul is identifying a problem. And he goes about dealing with it by focusing on the body. Paul knows that the body is strengthened by exercise and proper nutrition, proper rest. He knows that an athlete, uh, in this case, his description is a fighter, a wrestler, trains his body, and he practices bobbing and weaving, throwing a punch. And he learns that getting knocked down is not the same thing as getting knocked out until he gets back up. What Paul is advocating, I submit to you, what he's actually describing very well is what we call in the Anglican church spiritual formation. Spiritual formation. How odd that that should be so wrapped up with our bodies of flesh. Spiritual formation is merely the maturation as Catholics, which uh, work goes back and descriptions go back over and over again throughout the Bible as husbandry or farming or sports or learning or some other discipline. Why do we need spiritual formation in the first place? Well, simply put, we need spiritual formation because of original sin. When Adam ignored God's love for him and went his own way, he brought upon himself and everyone else what the church calls the fall or original sin. Adam, because of his disobedience, uh, experienced four self-inflicted wounds that we have all inherited and that you've heard me preach about over and over again and teach about. Christian formation begins the healing, the intentional, conscious, intentional work of healing the wounds of the fall. There are four wounds. This will be online and the text will too, if you want to go back to it. And if you have tomorrow Monday off because of the snow, it'll give you plenty of time to do so. Wound number one, blindness or ignorance, which is uh, the spoiling of our intellectual capacity to form correct judgments about spiritual things. The spoiling of our intellectual capacity to form correct judgments about spiritual things. So you know this. St. Paul writes in another place that the, mat the natural man 
cannot receive the things of the Spirit. They are puzzled to him. That's wound number one. Wound number two is what the church calls the wound of malice. Now, malice is a wound to the faculty of the will. We don't know what is good for us. And many of the things that we will and desire aren't good for us. A little child uh, wants sugar. Uh, and she will eat all of the sugar that you give her until she makes herself sick. When mom says, no more, you've had enough, the child thinks that's mean. Because this is, how can that be good for me to say no more? This is so good. Malice, and that's a, a simple example of malice. Malice lives by the motto, I want what I want when I want it. I'm sure that none of you have ever experienced that particular uh, feeling. But if you do, uh, at some point in the future, now you have a name for it. That's helpful. <laughs> wound number three is the wound of weakness, which means the failure of our will to muster a personal offense against evil. This has to do with our loss of the capacity to be incensed, to be angry by temptation to sin through the wounds of the fall. The very fact that we don't get angry when we're tempted is an example of weakness. Because naturally we should be. We should be angered by that thing which would separate us from God. And yet, anger is not the first thing that we experience. What we experience is the temptation, and then we have to muster our intellect and our will and our drive in order to resist it and to do God's will. The soul has lost its aggressiveness toward the difficult task. Number four, the fourth wound of the fall is what we call concupiscence. That's a great word. Concupiscence. Concupiscence is the disordered desire for the gratification of sensual needs. Now, it's important to notice, as I've said a million times before, that, well, not a million times, but a lot, it's important to notice uh, that the wound is the disordered desire. The wound is not the sensual need. And this is where we can make a big mistake. Now, uh, this is a wound that we experience in our body. So, for example, uh, uh, people need uh, and benefit from sleep, uh, from food, from drink, from warmth in the wintertime. We need uh, and benefit from the caress of a loved one and from physical exercise and occasionally from a little bit of sugar. Adam and Eve are presented to us as living fully sensual lives and enjoying what St. Thomas Aquinas loved to call the delectable, which is a good thing. All of that before the fall. The problem is, is that after the fall, what was once gladdening and joyful and fulfilling after the fall became an impulsive drive. It's as though the body then takes the throne of the self. 
St. Paul, in his teaching, is instructing us in what one may call self-mastery. Self-mastery. You want self-esteem, then you have to first of all develop self-mastery. Self-esteem will not come from just being told that you need self-esteem. And self-mastery certainly will not come from that. Self-mastery leads to self-esteem. But now here's the twist. St. Paul isn't addressing merely fallen men, is he? St. Paul is addressing you. He's addressing Catholics, men and women and children who have had their minds renewed by the Spirit of God in holy baptism. He's addressing Christians who have been infused with the heavenly virtues. He's addressing the children of God who have, by the grace of Christ, become partakers of the divine nature. He's addressing you, your children, your parents, and all your loved ones. And we are not, we are not at the beck and call of the oh-so-urgent whimpering of sensual needs. That's St. Paul's message. So, Paul is actually showing us how to love ourselves, I suggest to you. That little girl learns to love herself when she finally gets it, that her mom isn't being mean. She's helping her develop discipline and not become sick. We learn to love ourselves when we finally get, when we finally get it, that God has only good intentions for our lives and that he's placed, placed us in a universe that is on our side. One way uh, that we do that practically, let me just make this. This, this part of the sermon uh, is a little bit of a digression. It's only two sentences, and it's free. No extra charge. Practically speaking, the way you can do this, and I submit to you that you do this, begin practicing this uh, if you aren't already, during pre-Lent and Lent, because that's what we're heading up to. Try to detach a little bit. Try to detach just a little bit from the things that you feel so passionate about and stand back and look at that. Try to detach a little bit and treat your felt needs, sensual or not, like that mom treated her little child. In other words, try being a good parent to yourself during this time. Look. Look to Holy Mother Church over the next few weeks. Look to Holy Mother Church for help. In the next few weeks, all of us will be called to fasting and abstinence, to extraordinary acts of charity, to exercise devotion, to thinking less about ourselves and more of others. Appropriate the sacraments that you have, the gifts of God that He's provided for you. If you have never taken advantage of auricular private confession. Let me suggest to you that you try that. You do that. You'll find it healing. And, and as you privately open up the grief of your heart to one of our priests. And here comes, this is the last three or four sentences. And this is the rub, especially in our day and time with uh, the, the coronavirus and all of this that we're having to deal with. 
You can't appropriate the sacraments via a text message. It's just not possible. You cannot email or phone in a confession. Don't do that. Uh, and you can't Zoom it. What we have to do, as we're trying to do here, by staggering our services and, and everything else throughout the week, is to provide you an opportunity to park your car out here and get out. Because you have to do it that way. All acts of charity, devotion, confession, abstinence, and especially the Blessed Sacrament, you have to do that face-to-face, person-to-person in our bodies of flesh. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.